What a glorious building. For centuries, pilgrims across the East Midlands and across the world have uttered those words, what a glorious building. What history. Where I live in central Canada, people are impressed if a building is over 100 years old. I understand you have garden tools that are that old. <laughs> but certainly this minster stands as a glorious building for the glory of God. Or does it? Today's lessons from Holy Scripture are full of references to glory. In Acts chapter 1, the apostles are dazzled by Jesus' glorious ascension. And in 1 Peter, the early Christians are encouraged to endure persecution. Because the Spirit of God, which is the Spirit of glory, rests upon them. And in St. John's Gospel, chapter 17, Jesus' prayer is bursting with glory. As I reread a very small portion of it to you, count the number of times that Jesus uses some form of that word. If you're brave, you can say it out loud. Here we go. Father, the hour has come. Glorify. One your Son, so that the Son may glorify, two, you. I glorified, three, you on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. So now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had in your presence before the world existed. Well, that's one glorious prayer, right? Something doesn't seem right about it. This is John chapter 17, when Jesus is praying. In John chapter 18, he's arrested. Is that glorious? In chapter 18, the apostle Peter denies knowing Jesus. Is that glorious? In chapter 19, Jesus is beaten, bullied, stripped, sentence, and slain. Is that glorious? Maybe Jesus was confused while he was praying in John chapter 17. Or maybe his prayer wasn't answered. I mean, none of that sounds particularly glorious, does it? Glory is when everyone stands when you enter a room. Glory is when your name is spoken with reverence. Glory is when a young woman overcomes all sorts of obstacles to become a world-renowned scientist. Or a young man beats the odds and wins a gold medal. Those things are glorious, right? That's what we usually think about when we think of glory. Those things certainly sound more glorious than Jesus being beaten, bullied, stripped, sentenced, and slain, right? And now for a joke. John was sitting with his friend Harry at the pub, and they were discussing John's wife. 
And John told Harry, he said, you know, I have not spoken to Sally in over 18 months. And Harry was bewildered by this. He said, 18 months? Why? And John replied, because I don't like to interrupt her. (laughs) Good, I wasn't sure how I was going to import across the pond. (laughs) This passage, Jesus is interrupting our usual idea of glory. And in chapter 17, verse 4, Jesus gives us a major clue to what he thinks of as glory. I glorified you on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Doing something for God's glory is simply doing the work God has given you to do. And whatever age, whatever stage of life you're in, there is always work to do for the Lord. And God's glory, it exists with or without our participation. You can get a glimpse of God's glory in a majestic sunset, in the howling winds of a hurricane, in the jagged rocks of a great mountain. These all give us glimpses of God's glory. God's glory is God's presence flashing into our world, a manifestation of his love, our recognition of his continual presence. We can glimpse God's glory when we celebrate the Eucharist, when we listen to great music. It can be sensed in a strong embrace, and it can be sensed in deep silence. Jesus is asking you to glorify God the same way that he did, by doing, with God's help, the work God has given you to do. And if you haven't been doing the work God has given you to do, well, get on with it. And if you have been doing things or doing work that cannot bring glory to God, well, then stop it. God's glory is available to the parent, to the grandparent, to the plumber, the business professional. God in life has brought you certain experiences, certain interests, has given you certain talents and abilities. God in life has brought you to certain relationships and responsibilities. These are all opportunities for you to give glory to God by being faithful to those, both in the little moments and in the big moments. This minster is a glorious building because it was designed and built for the glory of God. But the glory of this faith community is in doing faithfully the work God has given you to do. The work of the daily services, the ancient rhythm of prayer and praise. The work of saying no to hate. The work of saying no to terror. And yes to peace, and yes to healing. The work of saving God's toads. The work of making disciples wider, deeper, and younger. This and more is the work that God has given you to do as a parish church, as a cathedral, as a minster. If you're local, not crazy as in the Spanish word, but if you live here locally, 
Are you involved here at the Minster? How could you be? And if you've been around the Minster for a very long time, and you've done this, and you've done that, what's the most important thing you could do? What's the one thing that would give God the most glory that you could do in this place here at this time? And if you're from somewhere else, well, how can you get involved there? And what would be the most important thing for you to do for God's glory there, at that place in this time? Sometimes one of the most powerful ways that you and I can give glory to God is by stopping something. Letting somebody else take over. Getting help for your problem. Changing a bad attitude or habit. Dropping a destructive relationship. If this is you, no more excuses, now is the time. Every Christian has been selected by the Spirit to give glory to God. And Christ is more than willing to help you get on with it by splashing divine power into your life, whether you need to stop something or whether you need to start something. And many of Christ's people are also willing to help you get on with it. So you need not do this alone. What are you waiting for? Get busy with the work God has called you to do. Get busy with glory. Amen.